Tell me what you really, really want. Hi, I'm your hostess, Lisa Drennan. Welcome to Forgiving the Girl Inside, A Matter of the Heart. In these episodes, we connect with courageous women who are ready to share their healing journey stories. Forgiveness is all about connecting with our inner child, connecting with our heart, and realizing we can never go back and change the circumstances, but we can certainly gain a new perspective. Mindset is the crux of all that we do. It's a matter of the heart. Want to be a guest? Visit lisadrennan.com and sign up today. Would love for you to like, rate, and leave a comment on this episode. Be sure to share it with who you know will resonate the most with it. Want to learn more about aligning your thoughts with your heart? Subscribe to my website and connect for a free discovery call where we dive into Welcome to this episode of Forgiving the Girl Inside, A Matter of the Heart. I'm your hostess, Lisa Drennan, and welcome to May of 2022. If you are listening to this in the future, in the month of May, we are recording a series of beautiful women telling their beautiful story titled Sharing the Secret. Women post-abortion, miscarriage, or who have lost a child are coming on um, mostly every single day. Some stories, some each day there's a, a, a story to, to be heard. Sometimes it's directly from the woman herself. Sometimes it's told in third stories. So if you are know anyone who could just really benefit from hearing these stories, knowing, especially if you're post-abortion, miscarriage, a lot of times we don't talk about these things because you know our families want us to bury it. It's hush-hush. No one really understands it. A lot of women will hear, oh, well, you can just have another one or, you know, that was the best choice for you. And it doesn't really get to the heart of the matter, the core of the matter. And the things that our body keeps to score with is things that are get unprocessed. So these stories are here to help you reveal to heal and to know this is a non-judgment zone. It's a safe space for you to hear women's stories. So today we have the beautiful um, Carrie Reichardt. So I hope I said that right. I forgot to verify how to pronounce your last name. She is a retired lawyer, a child of God, a wife, a mom, and a non-for-profit director in the U.S. and Kenya. She is a post-sexual trauma survivor, post-abortive, and post-miscarriage. So she has a lot of experience um, in this realm, and she has this beautiful mission that she's established. I'm sure she's going to share more about. So welcome, Carrie. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. So tell us, what um, what was life like before you found yourself post um, un- with an unplanned pregnancy? Oh, uh, that's a loaded question. And we could be here for days if we want to get into a lot of detail. But um, it was it was miserable, uh, for sure. It was constant fear. Uh, it was a, a rape and sexual abuse were a part of my childhood from very, 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 very young, uh, like under two, um, mm-hmm. not in my home, but in my extended family. And so it, I just grew up in constant fear, trying to control and manipulate my environment, um, just constantly living in fear, constantly. Yeah. And then it's scary because, I mean, two is really young, but yeah. two is a very impressionable age. I mean, if you look at a toddler, they they know so much. You mm-hmm. might not be able to communicate it 
in a way. And it's just so sad how, what a corrupt world we live in that people want to hurt our children. And, you know, we grew up, there's a lot of women, you know, in our age group that it was never told, you know, people know, Oh, you know, you're lying. You're not, you know, and now we're all coming out and sharing our stories and it's incredible. Um, just how corrupt and, and how that forms us. So you were very protective. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. What did you do to protect yourself? Absolutely. You know, just on what you said there as well, you know, that idea of my emotions were stuck at that age. So it was like, I just couldn't deal with anything. Like if someone would get angry, if someone would, you know, like, I just, I had to be perfect and I had to deal, you know, like it was just that idea of I had to be perfect. And if I wasn't, I would beat myself up over that. Like severely, I would be devastated. I, I remember in third grade, one stupid example, but yet in third grade, I was on like a Girl Scout field trip and I forgot got my pajamas and I lost it. I cried the entire night, did not sleep. I figured out I like forgot them at whatever, 7 PM or something like that. I cried the entire time until I got home, like the next day. Right. It was just like, I mean, way out of proportion, way ridiculous, but yet like I wasn't perfect. And I, now everybody saw it. And if I wasn't perfect, what else could happen? You know, so those kind of things, there was so much though, as far as the rape and sexual abuse, like, you know, sleeping in my clothes, um, just lots of different things, like sitting in a room, a certain place, wanting to be the smartest person in the room, wanting to just control and manipulate my environment in any and every way. If something would come up, like, let's say we had a plan to do a certain thing and the, the plans changed last minute for whatever reason it could be weather it could be you know whatever and it was like I, I just could not handle like last minute changes like I would just completely melt down because like I couldn't mentally prepare myself to be ready for whatever you know this change was like I needed to know so I could get myself ready and prepped up because on the outside no one really knew what was going on no one knew at all. In fact, I wasn't even admitting it to myself for most of that time. Mm-hmm. Finally, at about 18, 17, 18, it started coming out a little bit. And then at uh, probably like 32, somewhere around 30, 30, probably the age of 30, I went to a psychologist to deal with a near, near death experience. I had a blood clot in my leg and my lungs, a pulmonary embolism. Yeah. And so going to the psychologist to deal with that, um, the rape and sexual abuse stuff came out. And so from that, you know, it was, I was starting to finally at 30. And again, this stuff happened before I was two and it continued until probably 13 or 14. And um, yeah, so all of those years, in some ways, I would say wasted, but now as we'll share later, you know, God has redeemed that. And so not wasted, but during the time frame, definitely um, was very, very difficult. Yeah. And it's just to recognize, I mean, it took you three decades to recognize, mm-hmm. like, this is what it stems from getting to that root cause of it. Yeah. So, yeah. And so it, it's the healing being on the other side and looking back is so wonderful to understand that. And um, so how did you find yourself um, pregnant? Was it a result of this or is that something else? Yeah, it was, it was not a result of that. Um, Though, you know, in roundabout ways, I could say, you know, just that idea of when you're exposed to sex as a young age, you know, that idea of, of, doing things you might not otherwise do possibly that way. But other than that, no, I was in an actually an abusive relationship with someone and it was just, I felt pressured again, that idea of perfection and that wanting to be perfect and feeling like, Hey, everyone else is doing this and I need to do it. And after a handful of times, 
um, I ended up pregnant. Um, the relationship got worse and worse and worse. In fact, there was a lot of threats even as I shared that I was pregnant, a lot of threats in a lot of different ways. And so from there, I withdrew from the relationship, made a decision of what I felt I needed to do. I felt like I didn't really have any other options. As I look back now, I don't know why I didn't think adoption was an option. I think it had to do with the idea of being perfect. And if I pursued adoption, that my parents would know, you know, all these people that, you know, still really don't even know a lot of people know about this part of my life, you know, would be, uh, you know, would know that I wasn't perfect and I couldn't live with that. Like that was not something I could live with at the time. And so I, it was just not even a thought in my mind. And so made the appointments, um, a lot of things came in the way. There was a snowstorm that day and I wasn't able to get home. I was in college at the time, wasn't able to get home. Long story there, obviously ended up getting there and, you know, and, and went through with that experience and then got home really never talked to that guy again for quite a while. Uh, he dropped me off and it was, it was just kind of like just sitting there sobbing and just, um, just broken, broken, like never yeah. felt that broken. And in some ways, like, as I look back now in healing, like it was the first step of healing, um, even of the rape and sexual abuse, but in the moment it was definitely not feeling like healing. It was, I am never going to get over this. This will never be different. Like just so many different ways that it was just like, everything is over. Kind of yeah. like the moments in the bathroom after my lap last rape kind of experience. It was like, I knew that I knew that I knew my life would never be the same. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know. I knew it was bad, but I didn't know what that meant. And it was the same feeling that I had when I got home and I was sitting upstairs in my, my room, um, my hallway of the upstairs and just collapsing down on a wall and just like life will never be the same. And I, I, yeah, it was very, very difficult. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And it just takes a toll on you. And like, when you make that emotional decision and like, I'm not going to think about this, I'm not going to bury it. My life will never be the same, but you don't really know like what you're telling yourself at that point, because you know, your life's not going to be the same, but is it going to be like, are you going to be afraid? Are you going to be this? Are you going to be, you know, like when I, when I told myself, when I made the decision, I had two abortions prior to age of 17. I, the first time, you know, I barely remember, um, the second time totally blacked out, had no recollection of it whatsoever. And I remember feeling just so devastated. And, you know, even though I made the decision and, and had, I have to go back and do the same exact thing with the same exact information, I would still do it, you know, and that surprises me because someone asked me like, you know, any regrets? Well, yeah, I regret being with a person and being in that position. Like, what was I looking for? Like, why would I, you know, especially coming from a Christian background and like, there's all these judgments and all this external validation. And the bottom line was if I can go back and, and turn back time, I wouldn't have chosen that person to be with, but I did. And I'm guessing there are no second chances. You know, <laughs> We can't go back and change those circumstances. So what good came from them? And I remember swearing I would never tell. And I had two friends that were in the same predicament that I was, and we made a pact. No, we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to tell. And that's like the worst thing that you can do because your body has this memory and it, it takes a toll. And every single time you get your period, you, you get into a relationship that's loving, like, you know, I, you know, you get married, you have kids, you remember, you remember, you know, and I, I 
go through a, the week of St. Patrick's Day week, that week, I go through such a depression mm-hmm. and I get so angry. And this year it finally hit me. That was the first week. That was the first abortion I had was that week sometime mm-hmm. and my body. So I had this year, I spent a lot of time working through it and processing it. I'm just really healing from it. And you know, you're, you're talking 1986 and here it is 2022. Mm-hmm. So it's incredible. Um, so this guy, he was there, he, he helped you, took you, dropped you off, never saw him again. And then what was your life like? So you, you didn't process it. You buried it. You had no one to talk to. I did reach out before I went to two friends um, one was supportive and had had one before, had an abortion um, herself. And so that was the friend I connected with probably more. The other one, she wasn't not supportive, but you could tell she wasn't supportive, right? Like she wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, visibly supportive of that option kind of a thing. And so I just jumped into really right after it was drinking, a lot of drinking. Um, I was in college at the time, like I wasn't going back. Like it was just, I'm going to be a bartender. Like I'm just gonna, you know, like just totally like just off the rails of, you know, my, my life was very kind of focused. I was always really good at school. And so it was just like kind of this, this path. I didn't have a specific path that I was going down as far as school, probably early childhood or teacher kind of thing. But it was just like, just totally off. Like, it was just like, I'm drinking, I'm hanging out, I'm partying. I am, you know, like just dead end jobs. Like that's where that's, that's all I could focus on was like just getting through the day, right? Like emotionally just getting through the day. Um, and so that was what it was like immediately after probably for, uh, I don't know, maybe six, not even six months, maybe it was five months after. So maybe five to six months. Then I got into a relationship with a good, a guy that was a good guy. And that was good. Um, at the same time, I was emotionally unavailable. Cause again, I'm not processing any of this. Like I'm just trying to get through every day. And I did end up going back to school. Um, obviously ended up, I, I don't know if you shared that already, but ended up going to law school. So ended up really diving into the idea of achievement. If I could just achieve enough, like it would make all this okay. And of course that, that the achievement that never ends, right? Like number one, you know, you want to be the the highest paid, you want to go, you know, the highest education, you know, like you could just go on and on. It's never enough, right? If that's what you're using to fill yourself, like it's never enough. You you always need more to fill you because it always empties. And so you always need to fill more. And so just that drive and that passion, which I'm sure drove apart relationships, um, you know, and emotionally being unavailable and just, you know, all of those kind of things, like life was just, it was difficult. I chose after that relationship, which was a good guy, chose a lot of poor relationships, got into a marriage that was not good, um, you know, got pregnant before the marriage, really out of a way, probably as I look back to uh, what it would be the word replace, um, replace what I lost um, in, in the abortion is probably my motivation and I did it behind his back. Like he did not know. Um, but I, you know, was on a mission of kind of a circumstance. So that's kind of what life looked like immediately after. And you know, a lot of years after that, that, that relationship, I had another, we got married a year after my son was born. And then, um, I had a miscarriage, um, and then had my, my daughter, um, who is, is with us today. Um, so, Yeah. So that's a little bit about that history there. And it was difficult. It was very, very difficult. Yeah. And did you ever um, spend a lot of time blaming yourself for the choices that you made? 
Yeah. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. Subconsciously. I think for me, it was more about making up for it. Like, let me just do something that will make it okay. Um, and it was again, that the idea of achievement, like if I just did enough, if I helped enough, if I did this or that, or the other, whatever that might look like, um, then it would be okay. Kind of a thing. And, uh, and also chasing it away. The idea of, as I'm working on whatever it is going to law school or, you know, starting a career as a lawyer or, you know, being a mom and figuring all that out and whatever, being a wife and figuring all that out. If I just filled myself with enough busyness that I didn't have to think about it and then, it was okay. Right. It was, there's some level of okay. Cause it wasn't there. Yeah. It's almost like when you get triggered, you find something else to cover that trigger. So you don't have to work through it and experience it, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's all, it becomes numbing, but then yeah. you get to the point where you just, you know, it's stuff and explode and you get to the point where like, you know, I can't do this anymore. I've got yeah. to, I, you know, something's wrong, but you can't place it. And, you know, for me, I wasn't honoring my, my heart agreement, like my intuition, would tell me to do one thing, but I was looking in the mirror saying, I can't do this. I don't trust myself to make the, make a good decision because I've messed up so much yeah. and living with that constant criticism and, you know, the power of mirror talk and just looking in the mirror and saying, I'm not good enough. I'm, you know, I'm not worthy. And I didn't even really believe that God forgave me until mm-hmm. last May. So almost a year ago, yeah. you know, I didn't think, I mean, and as a Christian, I really struggled with that because you know, I was taught the religion and I had her, you know, I, I was saved in 1979, but then I did all this stuff and it's like, well, yeah. how do you do all this stuff if you're saved? Well, I had religion. I didn't have a relationship. I got a relationship with Jesus in 2014, but then I really, I mean, I understood forgiveness. I did a word study on forgiveness. I did retreats and all kinds of things, but I didn't really get it. And I didn't think it applied to me because it was, I was so dark and so black and every time I looked in the mirror, I just saw this ugliness because I chose not to tell. I chose to bury it. And once I started to talk about it and share my story, that's when true healing really began. You know, and there's layers. We have these layers. And like you said, you're you know, like you overachieve, you look for the accolades and, you know, like my career was fantastic. And, you know, we do all these wonderful things. And then it's like, when is it ever good enough? And do you ever feel good enough? you know, and whose standards are we living by? And it's like, okay, when does this cycle end? It's almost like Mm self-abuse and we really want self-love. We want Mm self-trust and we can't seem to get it. And then I know in my program, Divine Heart Alignment, when I work with ladies, they get into that cycle. And as soon as they unpeel that layer, they get nervous and scared and they're like, no, no, I can't go there because I'm afraid. But working through that fear is so powerful. What was the met? What was the tool that helped you work through that fear? Oh gosh. Um, I could say a lot of different things. Um, I started at a uh, emotional healing. So like I said, I was so emotionally stuck back at two years old. Right. And so like just dealing with emotions and also my mom was kind of, um, and, angry, you know, had some issues that way. And so it was just really like, I would just totally shut down and just lose it when anyone would get angry or when anything didn't go and I wasn't perfect, you know, all of those things. And so it was really going to an emotional healing weekend that really helped me get that first start. And it was that idea of other people can love and accept me. And if other people can love and accept me through this group, you know, then, then I can start working on loving and accepting myself. And I think that was the biggest thing. Like I was trying to find acceptance through achievement. 
Um, I was trying to find acceptance through drinking, right? And I was trying to find acceptance through, you know, whatever, all these different things that we try, right? And for me, the major one was I was finding it um, through achievement and that idea of being accepted. Now, it wasn't healthy. It wasn't right. Like there were so many things wrong with it, but at the same time, like I was, I was at least feeling accepted. Now it wasn't because I was accepted for being a child of God. It wasn't because I was accepted for who I was. It was, I was accepted because of what I could do for somebody and how I could do that for somebody. And so I think that was the start was that emotional healing there from there. Uh, I came to Christ in about 2008. Um, that healing weekend that I just talked about was about 2006. So it was that start of that. And and then coming to Christ and then doing Bible studies about what really is forgiveness, what isn't it, um, that idea of acceptance, you know, that Christ loves me the same. Whether I did this or didn't do this, he still loves me the same. He died on the cross, you know, to forgive me of that. And I don't need to make up for that. I don't need to do anything for that. You know, so that idea of there were certain Bible studies that I did that really, really helped. And, and even just being in the word in general was really, really helpful. That reminder that he loves me, even when I mess up. And he died because of my mess ups. And so that I didn't need to make up for them, that I didn't need to be perfect. I didn't need to put on that, that persona. And I think the other part to that too, was that idea of healing. And part of the, the idea of healing, the fear of ripping that bandaid off was the fact of it will never end. Like, that's all I am. Like I'm empty. I have nothing to offer. Like all I am are these hurts, you know, that one thing after another, be it ones that I did to myself, like abortion, um, or ones that were done to me. And if I rip those band-aids off, like there's just this never ending abyss that will never end. And I'll just keep falling and falling and falling into this pit and that fear to pull that off. And then to realize like, no, that's not true. Um, that is not at all true. There's so much more to us than the experiences that we've done and those that have been done to us and that we can live in that. And there's joy, there's peace, there's all these things, you know, in that and that it's not just the bad. Um, and we need to work through the, the, the hard ones for sure. And it takes a while to bring the joy and the peace to those. But at the same time, like, like they're there, they're there. The love is there. Yeah, Absolutely. And like you said, working through it and you still have the layers, but when you know that you're unconditionally loved, um, it, it makes a huge difference and you can really embrace that joy and, and realize that. And it, it's, it's funny because when um, I've, in my experience, when I talk to people, when I share, people think that they have to do something like it's nothing. It's yeah. just, it's just you and Jesus. It's just, that's it. There's, there's nothing you have to do or say, you don't have to perform. There's no limitations. And I think we're so conditioned um, by worldly standards. No, I got to do something. I got to go through who I got. No, you don't. And those false beliefs is what is really challenging to work through. You have a wonderful book that um, you shared your story. We talked a little bit about that beforehand. Tell us about that. Yeah, so it took me a while to write this book. Um, but this is one of the books that I've written. It was not my first one, but it, I think it was might have been my second. And it's called I Just Want My Life Back. Um, from trauma to triumph. And in that book, it talks about the rape and sexual abuse. It talks about overcoming. It talks about my, my perfectionism, you know, and all the things that we talked about here, but just in more detail and then where that ended up and what, you know, then leading into Christ. There's not a lot about my relationship with Christ in the book. There's maybe a little bit towards the end. Uh, it was more the junk and that idea of how these different ways that I tried to earn acceptance, the different ways that I tried to make up for things that I had done wrong, uh, you know, 
all those kind of different experiences and the emotions with all of that and kind of dealing with those emotions, anger, I would suppress anger, like just so many things that direction. And so that book um, really helped me process that out uh, as well as counseling and different things as well. The things that I've already shared as well. Um, But that book um, really helped in that journey. It's available on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. It's available on Amazon. You can look it up under, you know, I just want my life back from trauma to triumph or carry right carts. Uh, it's a little easier, probably carry right carts, um, than the other direction. And, and really my other book, the first book that I wrote was from lawyer to missionary. And that was more the journey of what we're doing in Kenya. And so through this, not, not as a way to make up for anything, because like you said, like, it's not, there's nothing to make up for. Like he already died for all of these things. And so there's nothing for me to make up for. But as I was able to take my healing journey by writing that book, um, that I would just want my life back book. It brought me to the point of helping girls that have been through rape and sexual abuse and ended up pregnant in Kenya. And so we've got mercy's light family where we help girls in a maternity home setting to work through the trauma of of rape and sexual abuse, giving them a home, a place, because in Kenya, they're kicked out to the streets. And so abortion is is illegal, but it's very, very prevalent. And it results, especially in teenagers, in death because of the being illegal, um, the bleeding and, you know, just all the different pieces and parts that go with that and being teens as well. Um, there's just a lot of death that comes around that death of babies, as well as death of, of the teens um, through that. And so we have Mercy's Light Family where we bring those girls in, teach the love of God and, and really just transform their lives from a dire, dire poverty um, like that we can't even start to fathom or understand in the U.S. I mean, just nothing, eating every three days, um, just having nothing, absolutely not living in a mud hut, you know, those kind of circumstances. They come to the house that we've built there, have a three-year program with us to work on emotional healing and spiritual healing, and then vocational skills and business skills to start a business. And so um, it's been amazing to see God redeem my circumstances, more the rape and sexual abuse, um, but at the same time, like just seeing how, so that pain that I went through and that hiding and the, just all of those things, you know, how God, you know, has been able to use that to help lots and lots and lots of other girls and will continue to do that. So um, yeah, that's been that's beautiful. Why did you choose Kenya? Uh, not a real great story there. Um, I never wanted to travel the world, but I really, uh, my church was going to Kenya. Uh, they had a school in Kenya and it was like, I felt like God was leading me to go. And that was probably like the first time I would ever say even anything like that. And it was like, I went, I knew God was calling me to do something in Kenya. I didn't know what, um, but it was just like, I was just hysterically crying when I was there. It was just so healing and just spiritually and people were just so grateful for the little 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 that they had and i mean little like there was just nothing to be grateful for but yet they were there and they were grateful and it just taught me so much about what i have yet i'm not grateful mm-hmm. and so that idea of gratitude and it just so many spiritual things and so many emotionally healing things that it was just like it was just a, a real journey and so it took many many years to figure out what the purpose was but uh but yeah so the simple answer to that was my church was going. And so I went, it was an option. It was an option. It was available. And I went, that was all. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. I I just love your story. And I know we talked about it before and um, we have very similar um, journeys. So I love how God uses us when we do say yes, when we get out of our own way 
And we accept, we accept this unconditional love that no one on earth will ever give to us. You know, we're never, never, ever find it. So thank you so much for your willingness to share. And the best way for um, our audience listeners to get in touch with you would be how your website or. Um, Yeah, you could go to mercieslight.org and the contact us page there that comes directly to my email. So that's probably the best way you can try and find me on uh, social media, Facebook specifically. My last name's a little tough to spell and I'm not sure if there's other ones of me out there, but uh, Carrie right cards on Facebook. But like I said, mercieslight.org is the, the best way, um, easiest way for people to, to yeah. find me. All right. Thank you. Well, we'll have those links in the description. And if you know someone who would benefit, if you'd like to uh, support Carrie's mission in Kenya, you can go to that website and um, support, you know, look for ways to help out there. Maybe you want to take a missions trip. I don't know. Um, but if you want to connect with Carrie and, and get more information about her story, especially, you know, if you are, um, if you've um, experienced some of the things that she shared with us um, and you feel that her story resonates with you, please don't be afraid to reach out. This is a safe place for you to go and to connect with somebody in a, in a safe environment, not judgmental, to begin your healing journey because what you reveal heals. And when we can stop listening to the lies, we can really embrace joy. And it's all about our mindset. When we focus on our thoughts, Christ in scripture, it says to captivate your thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. A lot of times we don't understand what that means. And if you would think about thoughts as a person, if they came knocking on your door, would you let them in? Probably not. And external, our external world, people will say things to us that really trigger and get to the core, the heart of the matter. And if we can stop and repel those negative thoughts and really know who we are in Christ, mountains move. That's when shifts Mm -hmm. happen because mindset is the crux of all that we do. It's a manner of the heart. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining in the show. If you'd like to buy me a coffee, all proceeds go to support Divine Timing Ministries, a safe place for courageous women.